0: Head on over to morgandwilliams.com newsletter and putting your best email to get first in line for valuable resources that I share on how you can fill your calendar with sales meetings and your pipeline with opportunities. Now let's start today's show.
1: What if you knew exactly how to use cold email, LinkedIn, the phone, and other sales channels to get new meetings and customers for your B2B product or service? Morgan Williams is an enterprise sales rep that's obsessed with cold outreach. If you are sick and tired of fluff, theory, and general advice on how to sell to cold prospects from people who haven't sold anything in the past 20 years, and instead want detailed, tactical, step-by-step instruction, this is the podcast. For you each week, he'll interview salespeople, consultants, and entrepreneurs about actual outbound sales campaigns they've run with real numbers and results. Each conversation will be a deep dive into deconstructing a specific campaign's results as well as the strategy behind it. You'll get the opportunity to peek behind the curtain and see what's actually working now in cold outreach. Welcome to Outbound Metrics.
0: Kevin Dorsey is Practice Lead at Winning by Design. He's focused on creating and leading world-class coaching, training, and content for SaaS sales leaders through playbooks, courses, training, and ongoing coaching. His belief is that the frontline managers and directors are the key to any org's growth, but are massively underserved from training and from a training and coaching level. Kevin, it's a pleasure to have you on the show. Are you ready to dive? Hell yeah, my man. Long time coming. Let's do this. Awesome. Let's do it. You are very well known in the sales community. I'll just give people a quick recap so we can see where you're coming from. You've built teams. From zero to 150 reps, both SDRs and AEs with, with, to companies from revenues from zero to 100 million ARR. A couple of your accolades here. Inside Sales Top 10 Sales Leader, Pavilion Lecturer of the Year, Ambition Top 100 Sales Coaches, LinkedIn Top Sales Voices, Crunchbase Top Sales Leaders, you should know. Very decorated in the sales community. I do want to ask real quick, I saw in your background, you worked at a company, Snack Nation. You had a background in kinesiology. I do just want to touch on how did you get into sales from there?
2: Sales. I did sales at Snack Nation. Like that was like what I did there as as well. I was the VP there as well for a while. Like I got into sales really in college because I didn't know what I wanted to do with my life. And one of the things that's been a, I think a strength of mine for a while now is pattern recognition. And when I looked, I was like, I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know what jobs I'm going to have, whatever else. There's always sales jobs, always. And I was like, all right, like there's always sales jobs. If I can even get halfway decent at this thing, at least I'll always have a job. Like the vision was not like I'm going to be some VP of sales, SVP. or It was just like, all right, I can always have a job if I can figure this sales thing. Out. And that was really what started it. And I sold all sorts of random shit, but then also started doing personal training. I ran actually two studios in L.A. for almost five years. Years. A lot of people actually don't know that about my background, like small business, like building and growing, but running all the sales there. And then into fitness equipment sales, then into like human, which was healthy vending to Snack Nation, and then onwards and upwards. So it's been a hell of a journey.
0: Awesome. You got into sales for really practical reasons, used some of the knowledge you had gained, taking that into a sales career, and then it kind of gone from there. I want to kind of step into your shoes. Back when you were first growing a team, I think we, you're the first big team you grew was at uh, Patient Pop. Is that- no, snack, snack Nation. So okay. Snack
2: Nation was a zero to almost 100 person team okay. in under three years.
0: Awesome. What was that experience like growing that growing that team?
2: A whole lot of fun, a whole lot of stress and ups and downs along the way, but it, it was fast, man. Like once, once I felt I figured out the sales process, I was hiring four to five people a month forever. Like, you just never stopped from there, right? It took a little, not even a little bit, honestly, took like three to four months before I'm like, okay, I think I got this, right? Like, I think I understand it. I asked for three reps in three months. Give me three people to see if they can, if they can repeat what I was able to do. And once I felt I had that process in place, started loading it up.
0: Awesome. And to your skills and pattern recognition, I assume
2: came to, to aid you there. What patterns did you see back then? Just how... If I look at the sales process, like how many touches did we have to make? What was our close rate? What was our average deal size? How many leads did I think we could reach out to at a certain time? How much time did that take? Right. You start to like map out that process to go, okay, what do I believe one rep can produce if they are call it average? And then what can a rep produce if they're at their best? And then what does the bottom need to be and using kind of math to do that, but also then looking at things like TAM and runway, where it's like, all right, one rep can do it, three reps can do it, but is there enough for a hundred reps to do it, right? And like using a lot of like math to kind of break those things down. And that's, that's what I was looking at is like, okay, what, what it's been repeatable now, three months in a row, we're seeing these numbers go or go up. Cool. I think I know why now, like this is working, let's start adding more people to it and see if we can keep going.
0: Awesome. Testing it yourself, building that unit case, figuring out what can that average rep produce, and then kind of backing into your number from awesome. And after Snack, take us to the next stop in your journey and kind of I would love to get into how these patterns kept building on each other and how you kept learning more and more.
2: Yeah. Then from there, I went to to Service Titan and that was another just hyper growth SDR build. It was the first time in my career that I only led sales dev. Like Snack Nation, I led both. Human, I led both. Now at Patient Pop, I led both. It was the only time I only did sales dev, which definitely has some some cons to it. But that was another hyper growth where I stepped into a team that was very small. I was not producing very much. And over a year, went from like 10 people to almost 60 people. Like, just again, like a couple months of like, okay, what needs to happen? And then plugging people into to go get it that was another hyper growth and then to patient pop which was then again a very similar type trend of came in sdr team was about about 20 ish the inside closing team was about it was about 15 16 and right before covid we were at almost 60 closers just under 80 sdrs on that and then obviously covid knocked us down Pretty hard there, and then we had to rebuild it from there. That it's—I'm a builder, man. That's what—that's what, go in and I build. I'm not the sales leader of like a 400-person sales org. It's just not what I do. Like that—it's—it's it's too big. I don't enjoy it. It's not something I would look forward to. Versus, like, give me 10 people, I'm gonna figure out how to get to it to 100, 200 people, and then I'll probably just go do it again.
0: Awesome. Kind of like the uh, Leo or Theo Epstein sales. Mm-hmm. You mentioned there were cons to only building a sales dev team. Can you touch on that?
2: Oh, yeah. Like you don't you don't control everything. And there's almost always a natural conflict there, where closers dequeuing things because they don't think it's qualified. Right. Things not closing the way that you think it should. And you can't control that. You can't own that. Whereas one person running all of it removes some of those biases. Right. Where it's like, all right, like, no, like AEs, I'm not going to let you DQ things just because they didn't have budget ready in the next 30 days. Like, no, that's not dq SDRs. I'm not going to let you just lob bad shit over the fence for your AEs, right? So it allows one person to set the standard across the entire thing and build a true team. Most sales dev and AE teams are not very close. They're not like truly working together. And that's that's a problem. It drove me nuts. It absolutely drove me nuts. Like watching at the end of the month, like 30, 40% of the pipeline just disappear Because it wasn't going to close, just the close rates could be high, right? Like that drove me nuts.
0: Have you seen an instance or been a part of an instance where that model can work, the two separate teams, or does it really need to be within one team or under one leader to be successful?
2: Obviously, there's examples out there of sales dev teams that are reporting into marketing and the sales teams reporting into sales and all that that that's working. I don't think it's the best way to do it. The only, I guess, counterpoint I can give there is you do need to know how to run sales dev. And that's actually a weak spot for a lot of leaders. They don't know how to, if, let's put it this way, any sales leader that knows how to run sales dev would never let sales dev report to marketing. Let's just put it that way. You would fight that hand, tooth and nail to make sure that stayed within your, right? It's just, it's a weak spot for a lot of leaders and a lot of companies. And it rolls over to marketing or there's a, a... director of sales development, and then a VP of sales, right? But the VP of sales isn't super involved in the sales dev side. Like, it can work. I just think bringing it together is the best.
0: I do want to hone in on that, what you said about not reporting into
2: marketing. You touch on that. This is going to get people all sorts of fired up, (laughs) especially for sales dev. The amount of coaching, training, and support that they need. I don't believe marketing can provide because marketing are not salespeople. This is not a knock to marketing, just it's not a knock to you, but you're not a salesperson. And so understanding the day in and day out, understanding what's reasonable and feasible, understanding how to actually handle objections, understanding all the things that come with sales, right? Reporting to a team that doesn't do that, I don't think makes any sense, right? Even if they are handling, and I've had great relationships with marketing, great. I've worked very closely with shit. Sometimes I'm harder on my team than marketing. In terms of how they're handling the inbound leads like i set that tone but if i think about all the things sales dev reps need i don't know how marketing provides that how does marketing write script how does marketing like, like don't get me started on like marketing emails because that's a whole nother thing that happens right like a very markety type emails like hi morgan we are the number one innovative disruptive data company out there we work with all these and like the emails and don't work that's like I just don't think marketing can give sales dev what it needs, especially once it starts to go outbound as well. That's a whole nother, whole nother segment there. So that's my quick thoughts and, and rants there.
0: Okay. Yeah. No, that makes logical sense. You like learning, training, coaching, that is a passion of yours. And you touched on the fact that sales dev teams need a lot of that. I'd love to just like kind of get a high level view of your process when it comes to coaching sales dev teams
2: and how you approach that. It starts from the very beginning, like right from onboarding, but there is a basically like an eight week, like boot camp that they would go through that is highly structured, high repetition, right? Like not just teaching them what to do, but a lot of practice, a lot of feedback, a lot of call scoring over eight weeks, heavy, 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 heavy on training and coaching. But that never stops, right? Even once you're out of that, right? You're still listening to two to three calls per week. You're still doing one role play session with your manager per week and one with a peer. There's bi-weekly trainings on topics and reviews. Like it was just baked into our day-to-day. Just every single day. We've rolled out on um, towards my end of my time at Patient Pop things called micro trainings, where it's like, okay, like, hey, objection of the day is ble- sending a two minute recording of you handling it three or four times the way that we know like we want to handle it. Like just anything that gets the repetition up. Most CLS teams completely miss on repetition, right? They, they just, they talk about it. They say, hey, Morgan, handle this objection this way. And they go, oh, okay, cool. And then they go out and practice on the prospect. That's not coaching. They need to practice with you, the manager, get feedback, get good at it, and then bring it to the prospect, right? So it was built in. Onboarding was heavy. It was built in the day to day. But even then, once you like got promoted to AE, you went into an AE boot. I didn't take you from SDR straight into closing. You still don't know how to close yet. You went into a four week AE boot camp to learn how to close, how to run a demo, how to ask for pricing, how to do all of those things. And then you got the AE role. And even then, AEs were listening to demos, practicing with their manager. We had call scorecards, like all that was just built into our entire culture.
0: So You had this just bedrock culture of just constant, continuous improvement going on. Any examples stick out in your mind of a rep who made
2: just like a massive improvement from coaching this type of training? Yeah, like I think I have good examples of people in the middle that became good. I also think I have good examples of people that were good that became like great. Like I think about the, the Sean Gentry's of the world who now is doing big things with outreach. Like He was good when when he came, became a fucking monster right? After like, you know, six to seven months. Liz Lee was one of the top performing reps at, at patient. Within our time, she tripled the revenue that she was producing on a monthly basis became when she was one, already one of the top reps. Like Julia is another great example. Julia is the top performing rep there um right now. She was ready to give up. I still remember my first meeting with Julia. She's like, I, I can't close. I can't do this. I don't top producing rep now, right? There's so many examples. David Carter, like I could go for days on people that Came in good and became great or people that came in like not sure if they were even going to be in sales and having like phenomenal careers right like that that's those are the fun stories those are the things that like i look back on and go that's pretty cool like these people are doing things now that maybe they didn't think they could do before
0: your time at patient pop when you're starting in that role like what are some things that are coming to your mind what are you walking into and kind
2: of take us through that progression? it's it's people prospect process so First thing to do, I I need to get to know my people. I had a one-on-one with literally every single rep on the team, every single rep. And I asked them a whole bunch of questions about their jobs. And this is something that gets preached about often in books. But actually, in the real world, it doesn't work as well as people think it does. Where they say, get to know them as people first. Get to know them as people first. Actually, doesn't work that way because you haven't earned their trust yet. You're their boss. You're the, you're the, you haven't earned the trust for, me to, for you to share all your details about your kids and your hopes and your dreams and what you do for fun. It's actually important that I get to know you professionally first, because if I can make your professional life better, that's how I earn the right to be a part of your personal life, right? I asked a bunch of questions about their job. What's good? What sucks? What's one idea you would love to see implemented? Where do you feel like you're wasting time? what are you already good at where do you need to improve how do you like to be communicated with how do you like to be recognized i asked these questions to every single person on the team i was locked in a room for the first two to three weeks right but like getting to know and then that's also what spotted because a lot of vps when they come in they try to make big changes that like they want to make right i wanted to make the first big changes that the team wants because if i can make changes that the team wants first that's how i earn the right to make the other big changes. No one had been promoted in over a year. I've made some promotion pass, right? The base salaries were too low. I got those base salaries up. There used to be music on the floor and now there wasn't. We got music back on the floor. We hadn't done a team event in two years. We did a team event. Now the team goes, whoa, this dude's doing shit. Like he's doing things for us. And then when I start to try to make some of the changes to the culture, to the vibe, to how we do things, that trust is already there. It starts with the people, then to the prospects. And I've talked about this a lot, like publicly. I just start talking to customers, right? And there's six questions that I ask them. And I don't, like, I got in trouble a little bit because I didn't ask for the list from CS. I didn't ask for a list. I just started calling. I pulled up customers and sales started calling. And they're like, "No, you can't do that. I'm like, yeah, I can actually. And two, like, I need to do this, right? But at talking to customers, because again, most, most salespeople never talk to customers. They only talk to prospects and ask them why they bought, what problem they were trying to solve. What were they afraid of before buying? What's their favorite part of the product? What's changed the most since they've used the product? And how would they describe this product to another persona? I get those six answers from 20, 30 customers. Now I know how to build my scripts. Now I know how to write my emails. Now I know how to do those things. And now I get to process. The people, the prospect, really understanding their world day to day. Now I can start building a process out to make it repeatable.
0: I have not heard that piece on asking reps about their job first, not their personal life. But now that you say that, it makes total sense because you're not meeting these reps in a personal context to begin with. That's what with. i mean.
2: yeah, it all, like, all the books, they talk about it. It's like, do you need to get to know them personally? Over time, yes, you do. But to sit down and go, hey, I'm going to get to know you as a person. Like, what, do you do? <laughs> what are your goals? And it's like, dude, I don't know you. I wouldn't do that at a, at a bar, right? We meet for the first time. So like, tell me your goals. What are your goals? No, that's not how it works. You earn trust. You earn the right to get to know them personally. You can't start
0: that. Right. And even personally, usually you start talking about work anyway to begin with.
2: It, right? You meet <laughs> what a new person do? at a bar. It's like, yo, what do you do? Like, that's where it starts. That's where we spend most of our time. They're there for a reason. I need to find out why. Right. That was one of the questions at PagePop. why patient pop? Why are you here? What got you into this company? Why have you made it through the ups and downs so far? But knowing those things about their job is what really makes the biggest impact.
0: Awesome. That second point, start talking to customers. You're asking them six questions before you go any into any sort of like enablement or developing scripts or messaging. Is there a special way that you organize that? Or you're just straight Google Doc writing a grid of these questions with customers and kind of going.
2: Yep, Google Doc. That's my style. Like I don't, I don't make pretty things. I don't go that. It's like, all right, I got a blank Google Doc with the questions on there. I'm asking questions, filling it in. That's it. And then I have that. And you record a lot of these sessions too. Like, unfortunately, I couldn't record a lot of them. At Patient Papa did something very similar at Service Titan. Interestingly enough, like my my cousin was a customer of Service Titan. So I actually went to his shop, like I went to his shop. I went there, I watched how they worked. I watched the day to day, right? I spoke to customers there as well, like medical, like HIPAA with recordings and things like that can be a little bit like tricky, but these are phenomenal for onboard, right? Like share those with new reps because new reps need to learn. These things as well, I would put some of this on reps and enablement and managers. I want you to go talk to five customers. Like it just, it changes everything, man. Cause like no one ever asks these questions.
0: you got this data, this information, this third step you go to next where it comes to writing scripts and materials. What does that look like?
2: Yeah. Now it's putting it into the frameworks that I know to work, right? So because I asked like, what problem were they hoping to solve? Well, now I've got my problem-based language and question. right? Why did you buy? Now I know the actual value props. What's your favorite part of the product? Now I know what to highlight in my email messaging and the demos, right? What's changed the most? Now I got micro testimonials. Now I can plug in those things into things that I know work. Like I know problem-based questions and gap questions work on the prospecting side. Now I know how to build the questions. I know educate, demonstrate, buy-in works in terms of how to run a proper demo now i know the buy-in questions i know what part of the product to to highlight like i know the value to bring from it and then i can take what i know of sales and psychology and start to plug that in throughout the entire process like the process a process it should be fill in the blank right i can't just bring my service titan process over to patient pop i can bring the frameworks but there's things i gotta fill in the blanks that are specific to that industry that persona that prospect and then it's just never-ending optimization from there what objections are we getting? Why are we losing deals? Oh, we're losing deals because of unresponsive. Okay, that means the way we're wrapping up calls is crappy. Let's train on how to wrap up calls and make sure we have all that built out, right? Now you're letting the data lead you on what's happening. Oh, wow, we really suck selling the office manager. All right, we need to learn about the office manager more. We need to figure out what their day-to-day looks like. We got to figure out how we can speak to them differently. Okay, we build that out, right? And there's just never-ending process improvement from there.
0: What cadence are you reviewing this information on to optimize? Is this something you build in in a regular slot? I mean, I'm looking, at
2: data, I'm looking at data every single week. It's how I wrap up my, my week, it's just like kind of where we're at. But I'm looking in terms of making changes on like a monthly, quarterly basis. Like metrics don't change that much week to week, but you want to make sure that you're looking at them week to week you can see if it's a trend, right? All right, close rates were 30%. Okay, now they're 28%. Okay, now they're 29%. Okay. Now they're 25%. Okay. Now they're back up to twenty. Like it's gonna ebb and flow. Like a lot of times people get too caught up, honestly, like even like in a day, right? And I know sales devil is like, oh we had a low, low meeting set day today. What happened? It was a Tuesday. Like, whatever. Like I don't worry about like, like a day, but I look at trends, right? But generally if I'm looking I, I focus on one to two metrics a quarter. And that's where everything is focused. What one to two metrics, if improved, would have the biggest impact on our ability to get to revenue? That's where I'm focusing. That's where I have to diagnose what's going wrong. Why do I think it's low? The flip side, there's always positive outliers. There's always positive outliers. Someone's got a good close rate on these. Somebody's got a high deal size. Somebody's booking meetings. Also, I would do this with my managers a lot. We call it studying greatness. I want you to go study What is going well? What are they doing? What are they doing differently? Who are they targeting? How are they phrasing things? Because if there's one positive example, even just one, it means it's possible. We just need to figure out what's making it possible. And now we can build that into our training.
0: I want to take a quick step back. Throughout your career of learning this information and implementing it, what would you say had the biggest impact on how you think now or how you... And it doesn't have to just be one. It could be like a few things
2: that had the biggest impact on how you lead. I think the, the first is understanding that sales is a numbers game, but behind every number is a behavior process or skill. That's the first. Like You can't just tell people to increase their revenue. For that easy, Like I could go manage a thousand people tomorrow. Go get more revenue. Doesn't work that way. Right. Then, but that's how a lot of leaders leave. Hey, yo, we need more pipeline. We need more revenue. And like, they're just talking about the end result. To go a layer deeper is understanding all the metrics that drive the result that you're looking for. Right. If I'm trying to get more revenue, that, that's pipeline, that's close, that's deal size, that's deal cycle, that's all those things. It's better. But even then, I still can't say, Morgan, bring your close rate up. I need to know what's behind. That close race, that's where we're getting into like that behavior process or that's where I focus my energy. That's where I have my managers focus is because if we can identify the behaviors, processes or skills behind that metric, that's how you actually improve it. I think that's probably been the biggest growth in my career is understanding to impact results. You have to impact metrics. To impact metrics, you have to impact behavior, process or skill. You got to get it into the how. And I talk about this with my team all the time. Okay, leaders talk about the what do we need? More revenue. Great. Awesome. Thanks for that. didn't know that. What do I need? I need you to hit quota. I've never thought of that. Cool. Okay, leaders talk about the what. Good leaders get into the why. Here's why. And ideally, they're connecting the dots to you, the person, knowing your goals, knowing where you're trying to grow professionally. At least I'm getting into the why. Great leaders get into the how. How am I supposed to improve this metric? How am I supposed to improve my revenue? I'd say that's probably the biggest. And then my second is just more and more focus on just how people think, how people think, our fears, our insecurities, how we learn, like all of that around people are the second biggest learning or area of focus of, of mine. Like everything's cut off like the top shelf of this bookcase over here is almost all on the science of learning, right? Like how we learn as human beings and everything there. I'd say those are the two biggest, like what's behind the metrics and driving that and then just what drives people right like how to how to work with and communicate with and hopefully inspire people
0: let's say like we have a sales development rep in an AE and there's just fundamentals that they need to be good at like dribbling passing shooting defense what are those behaviors or skills for each of those players
2: for I'll hit the things that are on both they need to understand the prospects problems and pain points they need to be able to ask good problem questions and impact questions they need to have great tone right? they have to have a strong tonality when they're they're talking they need to be able to ask the second layer questions right where someone's like oh yeah like we've been dealing with this for a while a good rep is like oh okay that 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 sucks a great rep's like whoa whoa how long tell me about that those second layer questions that you can't script you can't script second layer questions you need to be ready to like just hear them and go a little bit deeper. And then to like the last part, obviously it means something different for each role, but it's, just, it's consistency in right? doing the right things day in and day out, whether that means hitting your dials and your emails, or that means following up on your pipeline and proposals, using video in your outreach. It's just the consistency day in and day out. Plan- oh, those are the last one, planning your day. Plan- Again, back to the how. How are you going to achieve what you want to achieve today? You can be like, yo, I'm gonna make fifty dials today. Cool. Well, oh, to make fifty dials, you gotta have fifty names ready. You got fifty names ready? Oh no. Well, all right, you got fifty names when you're calling them? Yeah, in the morning. You got a team meeting in the morning. You sure about that? <laughs> like it's you gotta plan your day plan how you're actually going to achieve it those would be the biggest but also true man also so much of it revolves around understanding the prospect better most reps just don't understand the actual pain points needs wants of the prospect and that's why they make
0: makes total sense anything independent of those like independently those two those two roles
2: yeah for an sdr right you have to know how to cold call like that's really really important knowing how to cold call and knowing how to handle cold call of objections Knowing how to write good prospecting emails, how to leverage video in your outreach, those are probably the ones more specific to the sales dev rep on the A.E. side. They should still know how to do those things as well. But really for the A.E. is understanding like how to unsell the status quo, like how do you unsell someone on what they have now to make room for what you're trying to sell them? What can you educate them on? It's truly being like an expert in the prospect space and connecting the product to their problems and pains not here's our product blah 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 blah. right doing great discovery tying it back into the demo and then making sure what you've leveraged or what you've learned you actually leverage a lot of reps don't do discovery well but even some of the ones that do they do it they don't use it they asked all these questions and they don't even use it in the demo or the follow-up the proposal all of that i think that's those are the big ones for closers
0: you mentioned something really important unselling the status quo which I found is the biggest competitor in any deal. Can you touch on that?
2: We talk about this a lot um, on my team. You can't sell someone something new if you haven't unsold them on what they have. And what a lot of sales reps focus on is the selling of a better future. If you have us, things will get better. It's not enough to drive behavior change. Like. All of us know things could get better, but unless we're dissatisfied with how things are now, we don't really have a reason. And that's where those problem questions come in of the now. What is that causing now? What issues are driving that now? What pain points are there now? What is your current status quo causing? You have to focus just as much time there. And that's where those problem questions come in, where I'm saying things like, hey, Morgan, I'm talking to podcasters all day long, man, they all seem to be struggling with either getting enough downloads, landing, they're not landing sponsors. They can't break through that 5k download mark. Does that sound like your world? Or do you got it all figured out already within one question? I'm like, no, that sounds, yeah. Dealing with some of that. Talk to me a little bit like which, which one's biggest for you, man. We're just not landing any sponsors. Okay. Like walk me through how, what you're doing right now that isn't working. Notice what I'm doing here, right? I'm getting, I'm in what you're doing now isn't working. Like, what have you been doing that's not working? Well, I'm reaching out, like cold calling, I'm doing that. It's like, and it's still not getting you the results that you want. No, I'm moving you further and further away from what you're doing now. And then I can flip it to the better future at the end. But it's the unselling of the now talking about the problems of the now, the dissatisfaction of the now, that's the key. Awesome.
0: I want to touch on what you're doing at Winning by Design, but real quick, I would love to know what does a rep selling under Kevin Dorsey, what do they have in their toolbox? What do you like high level provide for reps? What kind of collateral?
2: I mean, shoot, man, like all, everything we're talking about, right, like, there are hours and hours and hours of recorded trainings on scripting, messaging, email, copy, mindset we did goal setting twice a year time management like all even like when i left page about all that still there all of it we're talking hours and hours and hours of recorded content frameworks call scorecards like everything's documented same for my managers same for my closers like that lives on right even a service titan like i still get hit from people like watching the training videos things that i built Four years ago, yeah. right? Like when, when it's there, right? Like you're getting that, that training and that focus. But like, we also, we try to instill like good habit habits, making sure you're taking good breaks, making sure you understand breath work and meditation, visualization. like Those are also things that we focus on teaching and hoping our reps learn and take away. But what I've always told my teams, man, is my goal is not to make you a great Snack Nation salesperson or a great Service Titan salesperson or a great patient pop salesperson. I want to make you a great salesperson salesperson. And I love getting the text messages and the calls saying like, yo, it works here too thank you for what you taught me. Then it works here too. It works here too, right? <laughs> yeah. People are asking me how I'm doing this. Like that's that's what you, I believe, working with me. Awesome.
0: Winning by design. I know you recently started as a practice lead. Can you tell us what's your big vision at this point
2: in your career? Big vision is 10,000 managers and leaders impacted and thereby impacting half a million, right? Like, I really do want to make the world better for sales reps, but you actually don't do that going one by one with sales reps. You actually do that through their leadership. One manager touches 10 to 15 reps a month, close to probably 50 to 100 reps in their career. If I can improve that manager, that frontline manager and director, that's where impact actually happens. And it's just an absolute black hole in the SaaS space. Like there's nothing out there for sales managers. Like how to actually manage, how to do half the shit that we're talking about on this show today, how to lead people, how to teach people, how to understand metrics, how to issue, diagnose, how to leverage the numbers, like how to hire, how to fire, how to like none of those things are taught. And I'm trying to teach that. Right in a way that really empowers the managers to positively impact their team. That's the vision, man. Like I wrote it down at the beginning of the year. It's like I want to be the Peter Drucker of SaaS sales, man. Think like Drucker, then the father. About it, I that's the role I want to play over the next few years in SaaS sales management and director level coaching and training. Because that is the biggest hole I see in the market. You have the best script, best product, best process you do not know, strong frontline managers and directors, it doesn't fall apart overnight. That's the vision, man. And I'm working with Winning by Design to really create that.
0: Outstanding. Host of the Live Better, Sell Better podcast, Kevin Dorsey. Thank you so much for joining today. You can check that podcast out on all the major uh, podcast platforms. I appreciate you joining, Kevin. Yeah, yeah, my man. You have a good one. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you subscribe and share it with a friend. Thanks for listening.